HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Randy Channel Soe, who is a master tea practitioner from Canada. Randy went to Japan 37 years ago to study martial arts. His goal was achieved and gained proficiency in various styles of martial arts, including kendo, iaido, and kudo. But somehow his focus shifted to Japanese tea ceremony and eventually became the first master tea ceremony instructor as a non-Japanese person. So today we'll discuss how Randy got into Japanese tea ceremony, what exactly this tea ceremony is, the spiritual aspects of tea ceremony that we all can benefit from, and how you can try tea ceremony and much, much more. But before you start, Japan Eats is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start, uh, start our conversation with Randy Chanel-Soi. Hello, randy Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is very exciting. I know how... Amazing you are, and I read uh, articles about you, so <laughs> you're huge in Japan, of course. So yeah, to get to... I'm a regular le- legend in my own mind. <laughs> um, so to, first of all, to get to know you, where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up? Well, originally I was born in... Well, not originally. I was born in Victoria, British Columbia, and Canada. I grew up in Edmonton, and I guess you could say I was probably weaned on craft Dinner macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Okay. I I ate too much of the carbohydrates. Mm, and that's why you have so much energy to pursue your physical. Uh, <laughs> right. That's why I got quite big, actually. So. Right. But having said that, now I'm not eating carbohydrates. Oh, so I'm good. Okay, go. maybe we can discuss that later, too. So, sure. Yeah, and then um, so you moved to Japan in 1985 to study Japanese martial arts. Um, and what was your first encounter with Japanese martial arts, and how did you like it? Well, to be perfectly honest, my first encounter was when I was quite young. Uh, I was in Canada, and it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was through a YMCA program where I actually experienced judo. And so, uh, but at that point, to be honest, I didn't think of it as a Japanese martial art or anything like that. It was just something that I could play with my friends uh, whenever we went to to the classes. And so it wasn't really a martial art. So my my first uh, experience in the martial arts came through the Chinese Kung Fu martial arts. Like I studied Wing Chun in 
Hong, both Hong Kong. Well, that's actually why I came to Asia is to study uh, Wing Chun and Hungar in uh, Hong Kong. And then when I was in Hong Kong, I wanted to kind of uh, find a more of a up michi, a path or a way. We call it in Japanese Budo, the way of the martial arts. And so I moved from Hong Kong to uh, Japan to start first with Kendo and Iaido. Kendo is the way of the sword and Iaido is the actual drawing of the sword, if you would, for lack of a better description. Mm, right. So, um, but I'm just curious, uh, the, you know, the martial arts in Hong Kong sounds like challenging enough, but do you master them? And you just decided to shift your attention to more spiritual side? Or what's the reason you moved to Japan then? Yeah, uh, to be honest, that's exactly the reason. I wanted to find a, a more of a... I don't really like the term spiritual, but I can't really find a better one. But yes, I wanted to, to have more of a, a way, if you would. And so many of the martial arts end in do, like kendo, judo, karate, do, aikido, all these do. And do means the way or the path. And so uh, I wanted to follow a path that would allow me to uh, do the martial arts. While I was in Hong Kong, I learned the phrase, in Japanese we say bumbu ryodo, which is like the martial and cultural ways together in unison, meaning you don't want to just be a thug and beat somebody, you want to beat them artistically. So you need that artistic or cultural balance, if you would. And so to that end, is that's how I actually started to uh, do the way of tea. I'd, know that the the tea ceremony and the martial arts might seem like totally different ends of the spectrum but to me they're on the same the same road if you would the summer i patronaged the martial arts or the the way of tea quite strongly back in the day as well Mm. and so as far as me being a master of the martial arts i guess you'd have to determine what a master is i do have uh several high-ranking grades but that's kind of in the past tense Mm, right. And also, I have to add, whoever does, you know, the way of, whoever pursued the way of things like martial arts to tea ceremony, mm. you are eternal student. So you never become a master according to what they say. So that's exactly the, right. So that's yeah, the, I, I agree with that. Okay. So, yeah, this those thing, I mean, you know, those, mm-hmm. like you said, kendo, judo, kudo, yaido, and sado which is right. money. And yes, right. Exactly. So that's the very essence of Japanese mindset, what people want to um, kind of cultivate. So yeah, today we're going to discuss yes. it, but it, I, I'm very impressed that Bumburyodo, like you said, uh, more kind of physical side and mental side, I mean, deep thoughts has to be balanced to be able to... Um, kind of make a certain achievement in dough. So that's a very, very essence. I think it's a Japanese mindset. So I... I would... in, in many things, for sure, yes. I mean, they're using the phrase a little bit, muriyari, uh, which means, uh, how would you explain muriyari? Like a forced uh, to... Kind of, <laughs> yeah, forced, forced to do something. Uh, they use it like in schools uh, and things like that. Uh, meaning for academic and uh, physical studies and things like that. So, but at the essence or at the heart of it, it's the same. Yes, the, this balance of cultural and martial uh, a, a being, if you would. Mm, right. Um, it almost reminds me about of the Olympians. Right. You cannot just yes, succeed yes. in physical activities. You have to be mentally uh, kind of integrated with your body, and also your focus has yes. to be um, not shaky at all like the how you can make this stabilize your mind stable so yeah the, right. you must have a, an element of resolve if you would mm, right okay so uh so and so based on all those things we talked about you shifted from the physical activities to tea ceremony so that's correct <laughs> what, what happened why did you decide to pursue tea ceremony as your main focus well, as I explained earlier, I did move from Hong Kong to Japan to study the martial arts, but I had learned that phrase, Bumbu Ryodo. And so I felt by studying only the martial arts, I was doing Kendo, Kyudo, Iaido, Naginata, and Nito Ryu. Um, I can explain those if you want. Kendo, of course, as I mentioned, is the art of the sword. Iaido is the drawing sword. Kyudo is the art of the Japanese bow or Japanese archery, if you would. 
naginata is somewhat similar to it's a bladed pole let's call it for lack of a better description it's not really a halberd but something like that and nitoryu is the two-sworded uh, style of kendo made famous by Miyamoto Musashi and so by studying all of those uh, I felt an imbalance I was had too much yin and not enough yang if you would and so I wanted to be able to balance my martial side with my culture side so I tried to do shodo which is calligraphy and okoto which is like the Japanese harp uh, it's a long plank with strings on it maybe many of your listeners have seen it before and uh, apparently I have no talent for either <laughs> so just by chance, the woman that was living next door was a, a tea teacher, and I went to see her for a, an experience in tea, and I was immediately enthralled with the way it was uh, performed. The, the movement of tea reminded me so much of uh, some of the movements in the martial arts, and that's how I started. Of course, first I started as tea was a passive hobby because I was doing martial arts every day, and I was only studying tea maybe once a week, three times a month or something like that. But, of course, uh, that was about to change because my initial plan was like 10 years of martial arts, 10 years of tea, and then 10 years together. But it kind of fell by the wayside, and now I'm just a fat old tea guy. Mm. Not so many martial arts. Right. Interesting. And these are movements, so I... Uh... <laughs> I am uh, kind of ashamed to say, but uh, I studied tea ceremony when I was in high school, so I I don't mm-hmm. recall anything. But um, the teacher said to me, uh, "There's so many forms, and you have to remember. But once you get it, it's the minimalist, most sophisticated yes. movement. So you there's like no waste, no um, any." movement of your fingers so you get get it and it comes out naturally i think it sounds like yeah exactly what it is i mean it's, it's an economy of motion of course different traditions will teach different movements in different ways but they will have their reasoning behind it and all the movements do seem to be uh something that can flow quite naturally i mean it's like when you watch anybody that's uh, proficient at a physical art whether it be dancing or skiing or skating or whatever they, they move with an ease that is uh, kind of befuddling if you actually try it yourself. Like it looks maybe even easy, but uh, it's not when you come right to it. Mm, right. So, um, well, let's uh, go back to the original point of for listeners who are not familiar with tea ceremony, what exactly is mm-hmm. tea ceremony? I guess you could say that at its simplest, it's just coming together with people to share a bowl of matcha. And then at its most elevated, it's coming together with people to share a bowl of matcha. <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm, I'm kidding somewhat, but uh, it's a traditional Japanese culture. It embodies the heart of hospitality and uh, many of the traditional Japanese arts and crafts in Japan. Uh, I guess you could say that uh, it kind of compare it to like a formal dinner where people gather together and presentation or manners are observed. And so it's just where you come together, share tea, but... The it cul- what would you say it culminates with the act of uh, drinking a bowl of matcha, and in this bowl of matcha, or by drinking this bowl of matcha, everybody can kind of experience the five senses. You know, you have sight, sound, touch, uh, and what else? Taste. What else is there? Mm. I think I said four. Smell. They're, they're all five of them. Right. Yeah, smell, of course, the aroma. Mm. So they're all five are in are in this one bowl of tea. Like say, for example, when you you hear this or in the bowl when you're actually drinking it, of course, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to see it and then you're going to feel it and then you're going to smell it and then you're going to taste it. And as you taste it, you slurp the bowl so it gives you the sound. So that uh, is kind of at the height of what you're doing. Mm. Uh, you know, that's, that's what it is um, in a very basic nutshell. Like I said, it's, it, it, it takes years and years and years to master, but of course you can enjoy it immediately from the first time you experience it, as I did the first time I experienced it with my my uh, the woman that was to become my sensei. Mm. She's actually 104 years old this month. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, maybe uh, next next week. If yeah, well that helps to I, I yeah. it's kind of um, I'm half joking, but I think the you know calmness of mind and also attention yes. to. You know, like the five senses, maybe six senses. Um, that yes, kind uh, of... I, I throw in the sixth sense being kan in, in, in Japanese, kan, mm. meaning the sixth sense, yeah. Right. Perception, I guess you could translate it as. 
And also the, the drink itself is quite nutritional. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> right. It's funny. So, and in the 16th century, all those samurais and nobles established the tea ceremony. And, uh, and the most notable person is Mr. Senorikyu, who is regarded as a That's kind correct. of the saint of tea. And uh, um, I think this whole thing, the samurais and nobles got into that because of that kind of focus people looking for. That was a really crazy time of Japanese history. Everybody's killing each other, trying to get this land and that land. So, and also, <laughs> well, it's, the, the matcha is delicious, but also I think there's a caffeinating effect too. So they had to stay. Yeah. I mean, originally, of course, it wasn't probably like that. It was probably more of a parlor game where they were guessing the teas. They had tea tasting things. And then from Sen Noriku's time and a little bit before Sen Noriku, they started to want to bring it down into something that would uh, have more of a, a zen-like uh, atmosphere with it and mm. not so opulent uh, as it was prior to that time. And so from that time onwards until today, it's kind of gone through transitions and we're uh, sitting here in our 16th generation grandmaster direct blood lineage from Sen Norikyu uh, in the Urusenke tradition, which is what I belong to. And Sen Zabosai is the uh, current grandmaster. And so that's... 16 generations since Riku's time of moving the the tea ceremony as it's somewhat, I would say, erroneously referred to in the West. And so uh, it's uh, something that has quite a long history to it. But of course, it, it's traditional, they like to say, but uh, when I do lectures, I often point out that, it, of course, it wasn't traditional when it started. It was very avant-garde and people were doing new things to move it forward. And that's somewhat similar to what they're doing today. You, you have to, now that it has been established as a tradition, maintain that tradition somewhat, but you can't just hold it in one point. It has to, to move forward as well is what I feel. Mm, right. So it evolves depending on environment, how people react to the previous way of doing it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and then, uh, so what do you think is the essence of tea ceremony? Why do you think it lasts for centuries and people still really go into the pursuing the pathway of tea ceremony like you do? So what is so valuable about tea ceremony, you think? Well, I think... I think at the heart of the way, tea are the four principles of tea, and we refer to these in English as harmony, respect, purity, and tranquility in Japanese, wa, ke, sei, jaku. And these were written in Riku's time by Riku about 500 years ago, and uh, they were valid ideals then, and they're valid ideals now today, and they'll be valid ideals 500 years in the future. So it kind of shows the, the timelessness of the ideology of the way of tea. And by striving to put these four principles into our everyday life, uh, we're, it's a rewarding challenge, uh, especially in these times that we find ourselves in over the last four or five years, in the last three years especially. And so if you can add some, uh, what would you say, uh, some kind of uh, serenity to our shared outlook on life, I guess that has to be a positive thing. Wouldn't you agree? Mm, right. Um, well, actually, it's kind of in a directed answer, but I 100% agree because recently I went to a tea ceremony and it was the first time in mm -hmm. years. But that was mm -hmm. the moment I went into the room. There's a tatami smell and the water is bubbling mm -hmm. and it's so quiet mm -hmm. to be able to pay attention. You have to be quiet. And then your mind right. gets shifted. That was like instant change. I was surprised, like, wow, this yes. is, I have not had this sensation of my feeling coming down. It was like never happened for years. So, yeah, I think that's the... You know, like I say, Jack, it's really, I, I, I have to remember my daily life, even if yeah, I'm not. It's, it's, yeah, for sure. I mean, because like I said, it's, it's something, you know, harmony and respect and purity and tranquility are not just for the way of tea. I mean, you can put them, like I said, into your everyday life with everything. I mean, if you have harmonious relations with people, then you're, you know, you're uh, looking at a, a good, a good relationship. I mean, the previous grandmaster, uh, Sen Genshitsu, the 15th generation grandmaster of the Urusenke tradition, he went all over the world promoting the way of tea. And his motto was, in Japanese, we say, Ichiwan kara peacefulness, which would be in English, peacefulness through a bowl of tea. 
And what that means is if we're all sitting in a small tea room, like you just mentioned, and listening to the matsukaze, the wind through the pines, meaning the bubble, the water boiling in the kettle, and sharing a bowl of tea, we're not going to be at each other's throats. And so it's kind of a, a peaceful endeavor to share something with somebody mm. in a closed space. Right. And the atmosphere becomes very calm and serene. So maybe you can uh, explain the word ichigo ichi. This is one of my favorite words. Japanese, the idea of Ichigo Ichi. So what is it? That's actually kind of interesting because I get asked this often and I turn it quite easily to an old commercial in America from Kodak and it's just called a Kodak moment. <laughs> it, what it means is uh, you take a picture with a Kodak film and you capture that moment and you can't repeat that moment. And so like we're in the tea room Or let's say, for example, even this podcast that we're doing right now, if I come back to you tomorrow and we have the exact same questions we do at the exact same time, we can't capture the moment that we're sharing right now. And so what Ichigo Ichie is kind of to, I guess you could overtly just refer to it as enjoy the moment. Mm, right. And the peacefulness and respect. <laughs> Yes, yes. Right. Okay. And uh, so a tea ceremony involves many forms and spiritual focus, uh, which sounds like martial arts. Yes. So are there commonalities yes. between martial arts and the tea ceremony? Uh, of course, because uh, in the time of Sen Noriku and all, like, as you mentioned earlier, the samurai really quite uh, were smitten by the way of tea and they really delved into it. There are many, many uh traditions of tea, not just the Urasenke, Omotisenke, Mushinokojisenke. There are many traditions of tea, and many of them have their roots in samurai as the founding uh, people that are doing it, like Ori Beidu uh, and uh, Kanamori and uh, um, Yabanuchi. Things like this are called Buyecha, warrior tea, uh, Sekishuryu, things like this. And so uh, the way that these procedures are done uh the the bugeidu the movements tend to be a little bit more dynamic closer to martial arts kata if you would or forms but uh for myself when i first watched my sensei do it i could immediately see the connection between the martial arts and the way we walk the way we hold things uh, of course this is a podcast and you can't see me but if you can envision me holding a, a water container walking into the room i'm holding it in front of me with my arms rounded and walking into the room. If I just change my position slightly and I put the Mizusashi down and I hold the sword, I'm in the same position. My arms are rounded and I'm standing with my right foot forward and I'm doing what we refer to as chudan kamai, which means uh, a middle fighting posture, if you would, for lack of a better term. And then if I'm raising the, my bow and arrow, it's the same thing. My arms are rounded. I start in that same position as I was, I was holding the Mizusashi and start to raise my arms. And so as far as the way we walk, the way we hold things, the way we bow, uh, there are many, many similarities, of course. And then uh, that's not even going into the connection of Zen. And so, of course, Buddha has a very strong connection to Zen, but I would say probably tea has even a stronger connection to Zen. And so the, there's a lot of uh, similarities between the way of tea and the martial arts. Mm, right. No wonder you're so successful as a tea practitioner because it's kind of natural. A lot of it, I would be really honest, when I first started, uh, because I was uh, familiar or, let's say, used to doing forms, then I would be able to pick up things easier. I could see angles more clearly. And I, even today in my own experience when I'm teaching Uh, students or people that I'm teaching for the first time or whatever, I notice that if I'm teaching somebody that has a martial arts background, they pick up more quickly on the movement side of it. Even people like, uh, so what I mean is not only martial arts, but people that use their body like dancers and things like that, because they're, they're, they connect easily to the movement and to the precise angles and things like that. Whereas people that are just academic based, it will take them a little bit longer to kind of get the the feeling of the movement, if you would. Mm. Whereas martial artists or people that use their bodies are a little bit quicker to adapt. Of course, there are ex exceptions to every case. Right. Yeah, so um, going back to my high school time, I was taught to pay attention to the, you know, tip of your fingers, to everything, mm -hmm. your back. And uh, that is really stimulating my brain. I really thought, I never thought of that <laughs> during the class, you know, yeah. taking notes and the stuff. I never thought of that. And uh, that was a great feeling. 
And I had to sit on my uh, knees, but I, I didn't mind. I really enjoy that kind of different yeah. mindset. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's it, like you said, it's very stimulating. And then if you couple that, like because I have a martial background, I teach a little bit more about the breathing because breathing, of course, is very uh, important as well. And so, uh, like, when I'm with my students and I'm at the beginning of their temai, I would say, they start. And so what that means is correct your posture, uh, right? which means prepare your heart and mind, and then with a breath, start. And so uh, breathing along with these other points that you mentioned, like right from your head to your fingertips to your toes. I mean, we even walk using suriyashi, which means your toes have to be correct along the tatami and things like that. And so there, there is a lot of, uh, uh, I don't want to say strictness. It's like when you remember anything, you first have to learn the basics. And once you learn the basics, they become natural movements. Mm, right. So maybe your brain gets rewired for that yes, natural movement. Yes. Right. But when you say breathing, um, is it like a slower breathing? What kind of breathing do you teach? Um, yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, breathing less <laughs> in like a, the average person probably breathes about 20 breaths a minute I guess I don't know I'd have to look into it and recalculate and things like that but if you can it, not so much maybe in the way of tea but because they like to you to start movements with the breath and things like that but uh, just slow everything down slow everything down and when your breath slows down your movements coincide with your breathing not 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 rushed like if one of your movements are fast, that doesn't mean you breathe quickly. But uh, you should, you will find a, a rhythm in your breathing and your movements for sure. Mm. I just try in thirty seconds and it works. I feel my back gets more relaxed. Yeah, if you breathe in uh, through your nose and out through your mouth like that. But there are other schools. I mean, there are other schools that breathe in through your mouth and out through your nose. These are, there's so many different ways. Mm. And, and I wouldn't say that any of them are wrong, but I would just say that putting a focus on the breathing is a, is a good uh, concept. Right. So it's a focus on your body, focus your mind, and focus on everything in your environment. So by slowing down, it's possible. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what tea is in its essence. You, you're, you're taking time, take a step back from the hectic world that you're in and just slow down, chill out, relax, mm. you know. Right. Oh, well, exactly. That's the Ichigo Ichie moment. Every day is the consecutive yes. Ichigo Ichie. Every. Right. And, or the other phrase that we have is Nichi Nichi Kore Kojitsu, mm. which means every day is a good day. Right. We have to remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. that's for sure. Okay, so uh, so we'll take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, okay. we'll talk about how the tea ceremony can enrich your daily life. So please stay with us. Sounds good. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese on HRN Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Akikotema. My guest today is Randy Channel Soei, who is a master tea practitioner from Canada. Okay, so, so in 1996, you graduated from a school tea ceremony in Kyoto uh, after an intense three years of studying. And the school, uh, the Urasenke Gakuen, Sado Senmon Gakko, is a boarding school. I was surprised. So how was your student life there? And uh, what did you learn most 
from the experience. <laughs> That's an interesting, <laughs> interesting uh, three years. Um, I, as you mentioned, it's a boarding school, but I wasn't able to board because I made the application for myself. So I was paying my own way, except for the tuition, which was graciously paid by the previous grandmaster, uh, Sengenshitsu. And so I had my own, I had to find my own home. And so it was me going to school every day as I did when I was in high school for three years. So it was the same, same amount of time. So in the morning in the, in the school, uh, it's saved for, uh, usually it was uh, on uh, academic courses, how to, uh, like Japanese courses, how to cook. Uh, we went on many trips to different uh, sweet makers and to different things like that, kaiseki meals, uh, and also on the history of tea, of course, the history of Uda Senke, architecture, yeah, uh, the 10 craft families uh, of uh, the San Senke, the three Sen families, they have craft families that are responsible for making like ironwork and lacquerware and pottery and tea bowls and scroll mounting and things like that, bamboo works. And so we learned about a lot of the peripheral arts that are related to the way of tea. And uh, in the afternoon was reserved for our actual practice of procedure. Mm. And so we would do procedures every day at the school. Uh, what did I learn most from the experience is, I'll be really honest, um, the interaction with a wide variety of people, I mean, tea by its nature is somewhat diverse. Um, even back in Nikyu's time, he had a student that was Portuguese and uh, when I went to the school, as you mentioned, I went in 93 and graduated in 96. So in 93, um, it was quite large at that time. There were probably about 30 students in the Midorikai, maybe 25. I can't remember for sure. But in my class, I can remember that there were five of us and each of us were from a different country. Uh, there was a Frenchman, an Englishman. Uh, an Italian man, a Canadian man being myself, uh, a Korean woman, and an American woman. Is that five or six? Mm. Um, but at any rate, we're all from a different country. And so the, uh, the interaction between different people from different cultures, but we all shared the love of tea, was quite interesting. And uh, at the beginning, you learn most about the Mesia procedure, which is like your preparation area. It's like when I studied tea before, I would usually go to my lesson and my teacher would have set everything up. So I really didn't have a clue. And so at the beginning at the Urusenke school, what was really crammed into us was to learn how to, to properly set up your procedures, how to set up the mesia, or the preparation area, how, what utensils to prepare, how to prepare things. And so that was probably what I learned more than anything. And I would say even the average person studying with a, a town teacher or a machino sensei, they call them in Japanese, a town teacher today would probably uh, not get the same experience uh, of the preparation in the mesia. Uh, of course, depending on the, the teacher, each teacher would teach differently. But oftentimes it's just like I teach now. Uh, I actually have a, a, a people in charge and it rotates so that they come in early to set up their own preparation so that they can kind of learn a little bit about it. And so that helps, I'm sure. But I think that was what I learned the most. But the that and the interaction with people, the various peoples that uh, we would be in touch with. Mm. Well, a couple surprising facts. I, and I, first of all, you are sponsored by your master sensei, and you are very hopeful students, of course. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, right? That the there is a, such an intense, really authentic course, and. Uh, Everybody else in your class are also non-Japanese people, which is very exciting. Yes. Right. Wow. The, the Midori Kai program that I mentioned is for non-Japanese people only. There's a separate body in the school that's for Japanese people or people that are, are directly uh, studying the program there. The Midori Kai program, when I studied it, was up to a three-year program. I was the last person to go through the three-year program. Uh, the five students that I started with, uh, most of them quit after the first year. I think two or three of us went through to the end. But uh, it's now, I think, well, actually now because of Corona, it's non-existent. Mm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's a young Frenchman 
who is studying at the actual Udasenke Gakuen right now, but not in the Midori Kai program, in the actual regular body program. Right. Well, I hope it's the, the program is going to continue and not even thrive in the future because it's been very I, important. I certainly hope so. Right. Um, yeah, and then also uh, you really mentioned interesting things. What you studied, uh, like cooking mm -hmm. and you no know, sweets yes. and also savory stuff. So maybe you can uh, tell us different formats of tea ceremony because, like tea ceremony, and why do we talk about kaiseki? So the chakaiseki and things like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, but actually, it's an interesting point because when I give a presentation here in in Kyoto, generally speaking, um, not not a not a tea gathering or a chakai as we refer to them, but a tea presentation where I'm giving a short one hour lecture and experience a tea experience. Let's call it. When I'm doing that here in Kyoto, I generally speak about what a formal gathering of tea and an informal gathering of tea are, and I talk to people through what a formal gathering is. And why I do that is because most people, even here in Japan, they don't understand that there is a formal gathering. If I, even if I say the two words, chaji, uh, cha no koto, right, chaji, most people can't get an image in their mind as to what it is. I mean, you've done tea, so maybe you have a little bit of an image, but most people wouldn't know what it meant. If I say chakai, then they would understand. So a chaji is the formal, the chakai is the informal. And so the chakai is most representative of what people think of the tea ceremony being today. And that would entail a bowl of frothy cappuccino-like matcha with a nice sweet. But that's not what it's about by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what it's come to be represented as. And so the chaji is a, an all-encompassing what would you call it? Like if we go back to my formal dinner analogy, it's like I would uh, write the people invitations. They would write back to me saying yes. They accept the invitation. And then I start with my, my uh, theme, how, what theme would I select, which uh, meal would I choose to serve them and things like this, uh, what sweets would I make for them. And so the, the formal gathering is divided into three parts. And let's say for three people, you're looking at probably four hours, depending on how smoothly it flows. It might be a little bit quicker than that, but three or four hours for a party of three. And it's divided into three parts. You have the first seating, uh, or if we refer to it as interactive stage, which is kind of what it's similar to, you could have the first act, an intermission, and then the final act. And in the first act, depending on the season, either the charcoal is laid and the, the uh, food or the kaiseki is served with sweets at the end, and that would be the end of the first act. And then you would go out through the garden back to the waiting room. And while you're waiting, I clean up the room. I dust it out. I wipe it down with a wet rag. And then I set in uh, flowers. The first seating, there's only a scroll hanging. But in the second seating, there will be flowers. And so I call you back into the room. And then we first do a serving of the thick tea, which before COVID used to be shared between guests in a style of drinking called mawashi nomi, which means to pass the bowl from hand to hand. If I had three guests, I would put three persons worth of tea in one bowl. They would drink one third of it, wipe the bowl, and then pass it from hand to the next guest. And so it kind of joins us all together in the moment. But this, of course, since COVID has started, has been uh, lost. And now we make each person one bowl of the thick tea and of course we still do the one bowl of thin tea for each person as well so in a formal gathering you'll get thick tea and thin tea along with on a, a, a proper we would refer to as a shogo chaji which is let's say a, a, the representative chaji or representative formal gathering there's two layings of charcoal with the kaiseki meal and sweets and then a serving of the thick tea and a serving of the thin tea Mm, right. And, uh, well, you mentioned that the scroll and the flower, which is, of course, yes. seasonality is a big part of tea ceremony. So, uh, and it's almost like theater has set up, like you said, that, yes. you know, formal party, but also like theater. So everything... Yes, because each of the guests and the host have their own lines and we kind of stake within the framework, but we're we're working together to create a... a, a, a an atmosphere that everyone will be able to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Right. And also, I know that you work with uh, your favorite um, Japanese wagashi maker, 
to create mm-hmm. the um, you know the theme specific theme um, driven right, kind right. of suites that for like you know summer time is like a summery looking cooling image and things like that and uh, right yeah and also um, this goes back to omotenashi hospitality right because you try to right. put, select the best flower best sweets best food the timing you clean the right. tatami mat uh, in the during the intermission right. all those things is just whole love to your guests um it's yeah, just amazing exactly. amazing so yeah it's 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 part of the the culture of shun as well for for uh being in the moment for the seasonality of the the food seasonality of the flowers of course you couldn't have a winter flower in the summer that kind of a deal and so uh you you, you pay attention to the guest uh quite a bit uh in the way of tea uh, uh, the grand previous grandmaster said that the guests should be having eighty uh, percent of the enjoyment, and you should be having twenty. <laughs> mm, right. Well, by the same token, though, that like you don't want to invite somebody you don't like because your whole attention and love is devoted to your guests. So this it's it's going to be a very peaceful space shared by your people you like and also guests. No, but I mean, even if you look at that in an other way. Maybe invite somebody you don't like so you can become come to like them. Mm. You come to share a common goal. You might be able to see uh, things differently. I mean, uh, yes, of course, you want to, to create this harmony. And definitely you wouldn't want to have uh, people going away with the wrong instance. But, you know, everybody should have a chance, I guess. Mm. Right. Yeah, maybe it's beyond going to dinner to share a table or someone for... Yeah. Right? And I, I'm sure that what summarized shoguns used to do uh, with the enemies. For sure. Probably a lot of political talk going on, which is in, <laughs> incorrect, but probably back in the day, truth be told. Right. Kind of like the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. Um, okay. And then, so you studied the tea ceremony of the Rasenke school, like you said earlier. And uh, there are yes. mainly three schools of tea ceremony, namely the Rasenke, the Omote Senke, and the Musashi Koji. Musashi Koji. Musashi Koji. Musashi Koji. Sorry. Musashi Koji. Yeah, I'm losing my Japanese skills. So Musashi Koji. But there are many other smaller schools too. Yes, many, many, many. So what is the difference between each school of the tea ceremony? That's a, 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 an interesting question, and uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm not really educated enough properly to, to say the differences. I mean, other than, of course, like I mentioned, we have uh, the martial schools that are founded by samurai, and some of the movements are more dynamic. Uh, when they, like, say, for example, I know Yabanuchi, when they wipe the Natsume, it's kind of a grand gesture coming from the left shoulder down across the Natsume, uh, and they, just the way they handle the ladle. and It's more dynamic and martial, if you would. But, I mean, each school has its own reason for doing the different things that they do. And, uh, like, say, for example, even among the, uh, the three Senke families, like, say, for example, Udo Senke and Moto Senke, that we walk into the room with our right foot and we cross the tatami mat in two steps. Omote Senke walks in with the left foot and they use three steps to cross the tatami. And so there are, are various differences, but I think those are just really, to be honest, superficial differences. I think at the heart, we all share the four principles, Wake, Sei, Jaku, because these were uh, developed from Senorikyu's time. And so uh, these, I think, are more important than the actual superficial differences. But like you said, there are many different schools and uh, many different ways to do many things, but the the goal is to, again, serve your guests and make them feel welcome and to, to enjoy the, the time that you're sharing with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And uh, by the way, uh, you have chame, which is soe. Yes, I do. And uh, so soe. having yes. chame is very, very important. I mean, it's just uh, not everybody can get it. Like a much in all sense of town, teachers don't get that very often. Right, so soe, uh, so you you earned this name. What, how do you get the chame soe, and uh, what's the meaning of soe? I was actually quite honored to receive this name directly from the grandmaster, the previous grandmaster Sen Genshitsu, and his son Sen Soshitsu. They both uh, together gave me this name. 
uh, it was before the, the Zabosai was the grand master. He was what we refer to in Japanese as the waka sosho or the young master, if you would. He was coming up into the position. And so they both thought of this name for me together. And I was quite honored to have it. It uh, means uh, the so part is everybody receives the so part. So meaning uh, sect or, or uh, yeah, this, like a sect. And then each other name is usually coincides with uh, a kanji from your from your Japanese name. But of course, I don't have a kanji, so they chose this one for me, A. And it means sakaeru, to be glorious, to prosper. Uh, and maybe I'm not doing either. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, I wanted to say that you're um, prospering in, you know, in the global stage, which not many uh, people yeah. could do. So you are definitely doing it. So... But uh, the, the A part, like I said, usually comes from somebody's name or whatever, but like I didn't have that. So I was hoping for the name Soran because my name is Randy. And so they, I thought they would take the first part of my name, Ran. And Ran, I could think it of being as Midareri, <laughs> which means chaotic. <laughs> but it didn't have a good meaning. So they chose this one for me. Right. And so it's actually kind of funny because as I'm a Canadian, we always say A a lot. So it's so A. Mm. That's a, that's a Canadian joke. Right, yeah, I get that. But uh, I think yeah. Roland could be okay to something. But I think the prosperity uh, sounds like yeah. very right for you. So, yeah, congratulations. Keep, keep trying, keep trying. That's what I keep doing. So. <laughs> okay. Um, but there are, like I said, there are, you know, even in New York, you have a very beautiful branch, a large branch of the Yodasenke tradition right in New York. Shout out to all my New York brothers and sisters. Uh, and so uh, the opportunity is there for anybody that wants to study, for sure, mm. or to experience the way of tea. Right. And uh, I think uh, in a modern society, we need tea ceremony more than ever globally. Yes. Yes. That's right. uh, like I said before, it's something to, to create an element of serenity, I think, is nice. Mm. Well, speaking of, all my friends who practice tea ceremony said their life improved because of their mental calmness, thanks to the, you know, the whole, everything about tea ceremony. So do you have the same feeling? I'm saying, so you started tea ceremony, do you think you you have more mental focus or do you have a kind of positive feeling about doing tea ceremony? I guess all of your friends who practice tea ceremony didn't study for me because I don't know if you would get mental calmness with me shouting at you in the tea room to move your left hand, not your right hand. <laughs> I'm a very strict, te very strict teacher. And so we, I, I, I use Ainomuchi. <laughs> love's, love's whip is what they refer to it. So I'm quite strict. But uh, no, I think uh, the, as far as mental calmness goes, uh, I had a lot of, let's just say, mental fortitude because of the martial arts. And I did create an element of calmness when I was fighting so that I wasn't overwhelmed by the, the situation, right? And so I think I had that there. But I think what tea has done for me, like I said earlier, is help me in my interaction with people and to have a, a certain compassion, I guess. If that, would that be a good word? And I think I'm a little bit rounder. I don't mean body-wise. I mean spiritual. <laughs> I'm not as sharp and angular as I once was. Actually, now my body, I'm a little bit angular because I've lost so much weight because of my carbohydrate cut. But, uh, no, I, I think tea has uh, given me a, a great focus for sure, yeah. Mm, right, so interesting, right, that maybe martial arts tend to be, users assume the existence of the enemy yeah. versus in the tea room, you try to make more friends right. kind of thing. Exactly. Right, okay. And so uh, can our listeners learn the tea ceremony from you online or fine and get yelled at? Oh, of course, please. I'm, <laughs> we say in Japanese, Zuto Seito Boshuchu. I'm always looking for new students. And recently I've been doing Zoom lessons. I, I, to be honest, I'm late to the game because I didn't like the aspect of doing tea over the computer cameras, if you would. But I've been teaching at the university since, uh, what was it, 2020. So I just finished my third year, or the third year, third semester of teaching tea online at, at Doshishi University here in Kyoto. And so, of course, I'm quite used to it. So now 
I'm I'm thinking that it's it's a good opportunity for a lot of people that don't have the opportunity to to connect with somebody to do tea. So yes, please, if anybody's interested, uh, please contact me and we can work something out. Uh, the, uh, one of the problems doing it internationally is the GISA, what's that? Uh, the time zones and the the things like that. But I will do anybody anytime anywhere kind of a deal. Uh, I am right now teaching. Let's see, I have a couple down in Louisiana, a woman in Australia, and place like that. So it's it's I'm it's it's starting to build now, and I'm actually pushing myself to do it a bit more, uh, more even on a, just a, a financial crunch that you're in hand now because of the way uh, things are in Japan with no tourists, and uh, it's a lot of people have quit doing tea because of Corona and things like that. So uh, I, I don't want to complain because I know everybody's ha- or many people have much worse than I do, but I've lost so many of my students I don't mean lost physically I mean in the sense of death I mean just in people not wanting to venture forward or venture out to to visit the place of study and so I I, from teaching five six times a week I now teach only once or twice a week and so that's uh, been a big crunch for me. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to, to open that up to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So maybe it, uh, it's great news for our listeners because, you know, it's ideally you have this tatami room, you can smell everything, but uh, you can actually sign up for those things once you learn the basics from you online. So Yeah, of course. But what, I, my, what my focus is, and I mentioned earlier before we started that I featured in Fujingaho this month, uh, is on the bonnyaku temai, which is the first procedure that we kind of learn when we begin to study urasenke, and it's a used. Well, it's used originally on tatami, but you can use it on a table quite easily. And all you need is a tray, a bowl, a tea container, a hot water thingy, as I refer to it, and a, a container that you pour your water out of. And then, of course, uh, your purification utensils like your Chakin, which is your linen cloth for wiping the bowl, and the fuksa, which is your silk cloth for purifying the containers and things like that. And then a tea scoop and a tea whisk, you're good to go. So it's not like you need as many items you would need at, in a regular procedure, if you would. It's quite compact, very easy to carry in one little, we say in Japanese, furoshi, in a bag. I often give lectures around the country. Well, not so much, of course, with corona, but uh, when I give a lecture, I take a, a small furoshi, a bag, a wrapping cloth, I guess, with me, and I, I do the procedure right there in front of everybody. It's very easy. I don't want to say it's it's easy. It's easy. No, it's not. It's uh, it embodies the essence of the way of tea, meaning that I do a purification, I do a serving, I do an after clean, and I'm able to see people interact with the way the tea is being performed. And I think it's much better than just a, a, a what would you say uh, an academic. Uh, verbal only kind of a lecture so when people are able to see things it gives them much more uh, understanding of what's happening mm, right just seeing the actual movement of no waste and the economy of movement you said earlier and also I think um, right. once you start uh, having your own sets of tea ceremony it's fun begins right your right. favorite cups and you know that's it the bamboo spoons and all those things and the smell of Matcha, right. right. Oh, but... Of course, yeah. ma- matcha is very important. And of course, if you study with me, you can buy my own original matcha. Right. So I was going to ask, so you uh, you started making your own matcha since 2010 in collaboration with uh, That's correct. Tea Farm. So uh, what determines yes. a great quality matcha? Uh, interesting question, because the higher quality... Well, let's just start with what is a good matcha at the beginning. I mean, first of all, of course, it's the if you start with the first thing that you see, it would be the color and the vibrancy of the of the product, right? Most most of the matcha is going to be ground properly. Uh, some cheaper matcha, not so much, but generally speaking, you my, my, all of my teas are stone ground, so it's, they're done properly, and many of them are done right through the whole course or done by hand. But the color, uh, the way that it whisks. Uh, is very important, the reaction with the hot water and how the, the tea whisks. I had one year where I had a, I don't want to call it a bad crop, but it was difficult to whisk into a nice uh, foamy froth, which is the way the Urasenke tradition does it. The other traditions, maybe, um, some of them may be the same, but like Omoti Senke and uh, Mushinokoji Senke do it a little bit differently where the bubbles are a little bit more, what would you, they're a little bit larger and dispersed, if you would, uh, 
we're just saying, okay, of course, taste best. Oh, I shouldn't say that. And so uh, <laughs> it's uh, the, 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 the aroma of the tea, uh, of course, is important and the way it whisks. But I'll be honest that if you're buying a, a medium-grade tea and using it, what's most important is the skill of the person making the tea, not the quality of the tea. And so you can buy the most expensive tea in the world, and if you don't have the proper skill set to, to make the tea, it's going to be bitter. It's not going to taste good. And so until you get the, 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 a higher level of skill in making the matcha, I wouldn't recommend spending too much money, unless it's mine, buying tea. Mm. And so it's really something that, that is like that. Uh, it's, it's similar to, like, say, for example, uh, wine. Not that you make wine after you buy it, but the, the point being that, say, for example, if you are a wine connoisseur, you're going to know much more about a, a nice-tasting wine than a person that doesn't know anything about it. You might give a person that doesn't know anything about wine a drink of the best wine in the world and go, what's this? It tastes terrible. You know, so it, I, I want to say it's an acquired taste for some, perhaps, but there is a, you know, I mean, of course, it does have the reputation, even in Japan itself, as being, um, what would you say, bitter. Mm. But that's not really the case. If it's made properly, there's a there's a, a natural amami uh, sweetness to the tea that is quite uh, powerful and very, very nice. Mm, actually, they enhance yes. each other right, by uh, making like evenly um, kind of infused in the water at the right temperature. Probably yeah. you can enhance that yeah. sweet and bitter interaction and umami, of course. Yeah. Right. Okay. But the... the the, the tea itself, like say, for example, if you want to make a good bowl of tea, you would use two grams, generally speaking. Just let's take it just easy step. It's two grams, 50, 60 milliliters of water. And the hot water, I've heard anywhere between 70 and 100, but I would say 70 is too tepid and 100 is too hot. Uh, start, like say, low 90s or even high 80s and then whisk it and then the temperature will go down a bit. But I mean, again, that uh, is... Uh, each person will like it at a different temperature as well. Mm. But if it's too hot, it will kind of bring out a bitterness in the way of the tea too. So. Right. And also the right attitude. Uh, so that's why yes. uh, we have to take yes. your online classes. <laughs> um, exactly, exactly. Right. Okay, and uh, so uh, I am sure your tea is your part of your daily life. That and is, so what does correct. your typical day look? And also why you went no-carb diet? <laughs> Interesting. Um, so my typical day is I wake up in the morning and I cry. And then I come to my shop and there's no guests and I cry. <laughs> and so I do a lot of crying because there's nobody here. Uh, and so, uh, no, I, 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 it's difficult now because I, like, say, for example, this just recently, I had the two TV, uh, not TV interviews, magazine interviews. I'm doing the podcast with you. I have an interview on Wednesday. Uh, I have a TV show coming up the week after that. I do, uh, I just actually did something for an executive from Netflix. So I, I do a lot of, uh, of tea, for sure. I mean, that is what I do. I do tea. And so, like you said, my, my typical day revolves around the way of tea. Uh, I write articles, uh, hopefully another book at some point, and things like this. And so uh, that's what I do. Now, as to my carb diet, this is actually kind of an interesting story. I hope we're okay for time. Um, the, what was it, in 2015, uh, I'll, I'll just say it, I was diagnosed with throat cancer. And mm. I was supposed to have an operation to remove two cysts that actually turned out to be three cysts. And I was a full-blown diabetic. And so the, the, the doctor couldn't operate until they got control of the blood sugar. So he sent me to the diabetic doctor uh, where I uh, was immediately told to check into the hospital because she's never seen anybody with a, as high uh, a blood glu glucose level as I had. And even my A1C was like 14.4, which is ridiculous. And my resting blood sugar was 463. And so she said if I passed out right now in front of her and went into a diabetic coma, she wouldn't be surprised. And so she uh, really wanted me to check in right then, but I, of course I couldn't. So I said, give me a month. She said no. And then we finally 
I got three weeks with her. And when I went back after three weeks, I had cut my uh, blood glucose by half. Wow. She was shocked. And then I kept, I kept going back. And so um, I started a diet on August 5th, 2015. And by January 4th, 2016, I had cured my diabetes. Wow. So probably that uh, mental strength came from martial arts. And yeah, but mostly it came from not eating. <laughs> but the, the fortitude to not eat for sure. So my, my A1C went from 14.4 to 5.4 and my resting blood sugar was 73. And I've been maintaining that for the last five years. Mm. And I lost, well, from my top loss, I, I lost 80 kilos. Oh, wow. Mm. But I put on 20 just to be sure. <laughs> but it's amazing. Right, but your, I, I, this is my, I, I'm pretty certain your mental, you know, once you decide you do it because of the focus, that's nurtured yeah, by that's your... That's the problem. It takes me a long time to decide. <laughs> if I but, decide, then if I decide, I can do it. Yeah, in a second. It takes years for me to decide. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. People don't even still don't decide forever. Uh, probably, including myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. So this is amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that inspiring story. Yeah. Ah, I hope it helps somebody. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Diabetes is curable. Mm -hmm. Diabetes is curable. Right. Don't take medicine because that just maintains it. It doesn't address the issue. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a band-aid, not a the core. Uh, exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, what are your plans and dreams? Good lord. I, I would like to plan to be successful. <laughs> and my my dreams, uh, God, I don't know. I'm getting so old, I don't know if I have any more dreams. Um, I think it, they, the, the plans and the dreams kind of mixed together. I would just like to, I would like to, to I, I think I have a serene outlook on life, but I would like to be able to maintain it without any peripheral pressure. I think that would be uh, a good way to start. Uh, of course, I want to introduce tea to more people. Uh, I would like to, like I said, put out a couple more books. I would like to increase my Zoom online lessons, everybody, Yudrashku, uh, and things like that. So um, I don't have any grand plan, to be honest. Mm. Maybe that was a problem. Mm. I kind of live for the moment, which is Ichigo Ichie. I live in the moment. I don't plan ahead, which is probably not a good strategy, but that's the way it's been all my life, so... I think that's the strength. Can I can I plan on on winning the Takarakuji? <laughs> yeah, maybe. That that would be a dream. Takarakuji is a lottery here in Japan that they have. Right. I think uh, America has bigger numbers to win. Oh, w way bigger! I just saw on the news the other day, one point what was it? One point three billion dollars, and after taxes, he had four hundred and thirty-three million dollars. I guess it doesn't matter when the numbers are that big, but the taxes took a big <laughs> chunk, didn't they? Right, but still, you get uh, some amount. But who knows? I won 10,000 yen last week. 10,300 yen. Good start. There you go. Okay. The zeros weren't enough. You need some more <laughs> zeros. At the end, not the beginning. I think the COVID is ending, so you will be busy. You are not going to have time to go buy Takarakuji. Uh, rotary. So, so what? How can we well, find your updates and uh, you know details for your classes? Mm -hmm. um, I guess the easiest way. I have a shop here in a shop gallery here in Kyoto called Ran Hotei, R A N H O T E I, and that uh, is where I kind of base myself out of. And so, the Facebook Ran Hotei is probably. Uh, a good place, but a lot of the messaging and things like that are in Japanese. But I am right now working on the English side of my site, which is www.rhotei.com. Okay. And there will be an English site up probably by the end of the, the, the week. And then my own personal homepage, which hasn't been touched in many, many years, is going through a, an overhaul right now, and that's www. One five hyphen one a dot com. Okay, so I'll put the, the links to uh, on the in the show notes. I can send these to you later. And then my Insta account is s o e i one five one a s o e i one five one a. 
great. So, well, thank you so much. Good luck. And I really, the COVID, I think, is hopefully wrapping up in Japan soon. And uh, stay in touch. And then uh, maybe we can come back to talk about the amazing tea ceremony. Oh, that would be nice. Anytime. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope your listeners enjoyed it. Yep, I'm sure they will. So... Thank you, listeners. If you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at theheritageradionetwork.org or akikuatema.com. Japaneeds is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patterson, and uh, we'll take a summer break for the rest of the August. So we'll see you in September, and thank you for listening. Banyeats is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.